Warning, you really should have peed before you left today. Today's episode of The Scathing Atheist is brought to you by Horrocks Bleach Abstain Remover. So for all you recently deconverted theists still struggling to overcome the sexual taboos embedded in your mind by decades of slut-shaming, hell-mongering, and bedroom advice from celibate pedophiles, try our new extra-strength suppositories, and we promise they won't be the last thing you stick in your ass. Horrocks Bleach, safe for both whites and coloreds, even at the same time, and that's okay now. And now, The Scathing Atheist. This is Chuck. And Willie. From Chuck and Willie's Book of Mormon Stories. And we did, in fact, evolve from filthy monkey men. Oh, that's a little monkey, Chuck. are making me Thursday. It's August 7th. And evolution's so easy, a caveman can do it. I have no illusions. I'm Heath Enright, and from pluralistic New York, New York. And as monochromatic as legally enforceable Podunk, Georgia, this is The Scathing Atheist. In this week's episode, we learn that God never learned to drive stick. A Louisiana archdiocese will play three pedophile Monty. And the gays ruin Christian orphan hoarding for everyone. <laughs> but first, the diatribe. arrows in the apologist's quiver. you got to figure the whole, where do atheists get their morals bit has to be the last one they want to shoot. Because what they're basically saying at that point is essentially, I know we're wrong, but if we admit it's a lie, we'd all be raping each other in the ear holes by September, so we have to keep pretending. It's such a baffling question to me, because it rests on the assumption that morality comes from God, but doesn't everything come from God if you're a theist? Right? I mean, how is this any different than asking, without God, where do atheists get their orgasms? You know, why is it that morality is always singled out? You know, now obviously there's a, a more nuanced version of this argument than the ear hole rape version. They say that morals need an absolute, right? Otherwise you, you descend into ooh, moral relativism, in which case you have to admit that a culture can dictate what's moral. You know, they like to say that without an absolute moral authority to appeal to, there can only be moral change, not moral advancement. Now obviously there's too much wrong with this argument to cram it all into one diatribe, but let's start here. There's no divine authority on health or technology. Those things can advance, right? I don't need a man in the sky to tell me that my phone is superior to a loom. I know it because I have an objective standard. You know, like we have for morality. Harm, freedom, equality, that kind of shit. And despite the spurious series of assumptions this nonsense apologetic relies on, there are plenty of theists that actually think this is some sort of checkmate. You know, they say, morals always come from God, so if there's no God, there can't be morals. But... All they did was change the fucking definition of morals, right? I mean, the dictionary says of morals that that they're a person's standard of behavior or beliefs concerning what is and is not acceptable for them to do. No mention of God there. It's like if I suddenly said that the word egg means perfectly cubed, and then I lamented the fact that there are no true eggs anymore. Uh, Matt Dillahunty, he's got a great video out there, and I'll link to it on the show notes for this episode, where he argues that not only is a secular morality superior to a religious morality, but in fact, secular morality is the only kind that exists. Now, a lot of atheists will demonstrate this fact by pointing to something that we can all agree is immoral, but isn't touched on in the Bible. You know, you ask them, so do you think slavery is immoral? And they say yes, because they're afraid a black person might hear them. And so you say, why do you think it's immoral? Never says so in your Bible, implies the exact opposite quite a bit. 
How would you know unless your secular morals were telling you this? Now, sometimes that's effective, but largely it kind of misses their point. Because these people think that the Holy Ghost lives in their head and gives them instructions like the little alien that drives Oprah Winfrey or something. So when you say it isn't in the Bible, they say, well, God just whispered it into my brain. And somehow they don't recognize how batshit insane that sounds. Now, among the advantages of this line of, let's call it, thinking, is that it also immunizes them in case you point out that atheists are, by any reasonable measure, at least as moral as religious people. Well, of course we are, because God's in our brains whispering right from wrong, too. We just don't realize it. But to be honest, they're only this sophisticated with their stupid when they have to be. You know, I've actually spoken with theists who are genuinely curious what kept me from raping the immigrants. They like to paint this hellish picture of what the world would look like without the threat of Sky Daddy's brimstone timeouts. And if you counter by pointing out that the least religious nations are the most lawful and the most religious nations are the most violent, they'll retreat to prehistory and start talking about how bad civilization as a whole would have been without the advantage of the divine ass rape of Damocles. But in truth, the last thing they should want to talk about is morality. It's the weakest link in their chain. It's my favorite way of pointing out what's so damn dangerous about religion. When theists ask me where I get my morals, I prefer to tell them where I don't get them. I don't get them from absolute authorities that can't be questioned. I don't get them from ancient texts. I don't get them from voices in my fucking head. I don't get them from somebody whose moral authority rests solely on his mastery of mythology. I don't get them from a book that so readily offered moral justifications for slavery, sexism, child abuse, torture, and genocide. So where do morals come from? I don't know. Where do, where do fantasies come from? Where do ideas come from? Where do fears come from? Tell you what, theists, I'll make you a deal. We rationalists will keep working on this problem. When we've got a definitive answer, we'll get back to you. And all we ask in return is that between now and then, you refrain from nuking the fucking planet over this extremely moral institution you keep talking about. They're talking about your Jesus. We interrupt this broadcast to bring you a special news bulletin. Joining me for headlines tonight is adverbally adjective-ish Heath Enright. Heath, are you ready to verb? I'd like to verb my noun on S.E. Cup's face. Be my L on her T's. I don't know. Get a chance to talk about that kind of stuff? I'd commission a mural of it on my ceiling, sir. Go right ahead. <laughs> Two pearls, one cup. In our lead story tonight, from the Foxy Moron file, conservative atheist political pundit S.E. Cup, after her daily shift behind the glass as prized specimen at the exotic Republican Zoo, claimed during a video for CNN's Crossfire that conservative atheists are better at godlessness than liberal atheists. Huh. And she got back inside the glass walls and ceiling for the evening shift. You know, I heard they used to, uh, used to use soundproof glass, but then they learned as long as people could hear her, they didn't need a jizz mopper. <laughs> Not on the outside wall. Anyway. <laughs> Women don't usually have enough power to reach the glass ceiling. No, <laughs> So, so I thought, seriously, I thought she might talk about how, I guess, liberalism more closely aligns with the teachings of Jesus than conservatism. I, I mean, that wouldn't have helped her case, no, you know, really but, no. but, but it would have been better than her actual argument, which went something like this. Um, atheist Republicans, who are beholden to a constituency full of evangelicals, are forced to feign imaginary sympathy more than atheist Democrats. And that makes conservative atheists better because intellectual honesty is bad, sputter, sputter, sputter. <laughs> right? 
I think that's how she finished the argument. Yes, I see. An, I saw an interesting counter argument by somebody named the exact same bitch making a contradictory point, who said, "quote <laughs> In fact, I'd go so far as to say conservatism is far more intellectually honest and respectful of atheism than liberalism has been." End quote. So, <laughs> said that. Yeah. Whatever the fuck you need to say at the moment. I, I'm sorry to interrupt Southeast. You were saying something about intellectual <laughs> honesty. Please carry on. Now, her remarks start to make a little more sense when you consider Cup's description of her personal brand of monotheistic atheism. Quote, I don't believe in God, but I'm not mad at him either. End quote. <laughs> so, unlike Bill Maher, who she castigates for being radically zero-godded, Cup subscribes to a more accommodating, moderate sect of atheism called Christianity. Right. She, she believes in half a god as a compromise, you know, but but rounds it up to one if she's on Fox, just to well, that's, be, be nice. Well, that's weird, though, because usually Christian gods come in thirds. <laughs> yeah, right. Half. Zero thirds. Right, exactly. exactly, exactly, yeah. And, and it's not like they didn't pay for their own lube news tonight. Minneapolis Archbishop John C. <laughs> Neinstead is refusing to relinquish his post an awful lot these days. Neinstead is facing calls for his resignation from prominent Catholics, local politicians, state newspapers, the kids whose asses he allowed to be raped, and all other people who are familiar with this situation on even a cellular level. But Neinstead vows to continue fighting for the rights of priests to molest children with impunity, but pretends it's because he really loves running the soup kitchen. You say. Not... Here's the problem, though. You can't just conjure up new clergy on command. It's not so easy to find someone who can read ladle and not abuse children. I mean, that's hard. <laughs> All at the same time. That's <laughs> three-tool player, you know. I'm not reading and ladling and handling the money. <laughs> now, while he freely admits that he mishandled abuse allegations in the past, he did vociferously deny that he was actively engaged in homosexual relationships, which prompted reporters to point out that nobody was saying that he was at that time, <laughs> to which he responded, quote, good, because I'm not, end quote. You want me to go have penis vagina sex right now with an adult? <laughs> I'll do it. I'll do it. Show me an adult with a vagina. Let's go. I like think I'm scared. <laughs> and as if to demonstrate the astounding extent to which he doesn't get it when describing his renewed commitment to protecting child from, children from sexual abuse, the words that he chose were, I shit you not, this is what he said, I will take a more hands-on approach, end quote. So, <laughs> wow. It's like he's not even trying. You, you just get a tape recorder. You tape yourself all day. You'll be really surprised. <laughs> You'll be amazed. <laughs> and in Psychics Prophesize Failure to Predict Things, Thus Failing News, exactly zero of the thousands of self-proclaimed magical people in the world have managed to cash in on the long-standing enormous money offer from famous skeptic James Randi. Mm -hmm. So, assuming magic clearly exists, it seems... Every single prophet, astrologer, warlock, and faith healer has an ethical dilemma about taking a million dollars from an atheist and donating it to charity, I guess. That's right, the problem. Right, but most interestingly from, a, from an ethical perspective is the fact that it's only the real wizards that have this hang-up because the <laughs> fake ones just line up to take this fucking <laughs> test, apparently. Now, as many of you know, the James Randi Educational Foundation has offered a $1 million prize to anyone that can demonstrate a supernatural ability under legitimate experimental conditions. This has existed since 1996, and was also offered in smaller sums going back to 1964. So again, given magic clearly exists, that's a half a century of assholes that can do magic, but won't share it with the world unless they're allowed to stand next to a dumbwaiter they set up already. <laughs>
I'll tell you, that's the funniest thing about this to me. They, they make sure that every claimant agrees to the testing protocol beforehand. So <laughs> 100% of the claimants will tell you before the test that the metrics are fair, and almost the same percentage will tell you afterwards that it wasn't. How were they practicing and succeeding? Yeah, right. <laughs> Why did they think they were going to win? How did you not so, know? You so, so the be... most recent attempt at the million by Dragon Ball Z character Mr. Fei Wong was the, the final event at TAM 2014 in Las Vegas last month. So uh, if you don't already know, show of hands, everybody, who thinks he won the million? <laughs> Smart audience we got here. So despite yeah, Wong's yeah. best efforts during his preliminary test, he was unable to shoot invisible energy balls through cardboard any better than placebo Goku, Jamie, Ian, Swiss. In fact, Luke Kang was considerably worse. The data actually suggest Mr. Swiss is batting a 1,000 at shooting invisible energy balls. So, you know, oh, well, next you year, damn, maybe he fights Raiden. I don't know. <laughs> Something good. I could see Jamie, Ian, Swiss, by the way, putting placebo Goku on his business card. I'll, you know, <laughs> And in Mike and Mike in the Morning Mass news tonight, Congressional Republicans Mike Enzi and Mike Kelly have proposed legislation that would protect the rights of religious adoption agencies to violate the rights of other people. The bill uses vague language to avoid actually saying fudge packers directly, instead carrying on with references to sincerely held religious beliefs and the moral convictions of the provider. Now, this is obviously a political ploy to allow Southern representatives to later argue that they thought the bill was to keep the white kids from being adopted by the Negroes if the political winds change. It's adoptions or abortions. You cannot have it both ways. Exactly. (laughs) Now, I think it's worth noting exactly what they're trying to protect here. Even in the states that fully recognize gay marriage, there's no law that says the adoption agencies have to give kids to the gay couples. It's just that some of them say that the state-funded adoption agencies have to. So it's okay to use needy children as a political weapon in your futile effort to maintain pre-Renaissance morality, apparently. You just can't do it on the taxpayer's dime, which means that the proposed bill wouldn't so much insulate the adoption agencies from anti-discrimination laws, since they're already exempted from them. It would protect the bigots' right to have their bigotry financed by the government. Unbelievable. Basic freedoms. Right. Now, I'm aware that people hate to hear about boring shit like relevant data, but uh, they're going to hear it today. Here's some (laughs) relevant data for you. Numerous recent studies show that children raised by same-sex couples are, if anything, given better parenting on average. Well, right. Sure, obviously. Because all gay parents are intentionally parents. You can't (laughs) accidentally become a gay parent. There's no mechanism for that. Right. They weren't born gay parents. It's a choice. They made very specific choices. (laughs) Right. For all practical purposes, though, potential adopters, shouldn't they really only need to outperform orphanages? I mean, gay parents beating straight parents, that was just gravy. You just, you just have to beat orphanages. Right. right. And the gays do love their gravy. Now, Catholic adoption agencies have grown particularly adept at the weaponization of orphans over the past decade. In several instances, they've famously shut down adoption services statewide rather than abide by the principles of equality. They've literally stopped helping children altogether because they prioritized their malignant xenophobia over the welfare of parentless children. And think about what a sacrifice it really is for a bunch of Catholic priests to just walk away from a bunch of helpless, rape-ripe orphans. So they're serious about this shit. They're not fucking around. Yeah, weaponized orphans. That actually happened. Yes. Church-run shelters in Colorado and Illinois basically threatened to throw an orphan out of the airplane every 10 minutes until they got their... Bigotry subsidy check from the government. It wasn't exactly like that, but pretty much, yeah. And from the awkward but well-funded reunion file, 
This year marks the 10th anniversary of the legal settlement in which the Roman Catholic Diocese of Lafayette in Louisiana paid out $26 million to 123 victims of sexual abuse at the hands of their clergy dating back to the 1950s. Wow. Given such a large sum of money, apparently the church feels it's tacky to ask about minutiae like, who are the pedophiles? That right, are- right, 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 exactly, because... What were they buying for their 26 large, if not the retroactive consent of the victims? So it's right, no longer yeah. a pedophile. Not unreasonable at all. So in, all response to, <laughs> so in response to a very justified suspicion that some of the guilty priests are still at large and even still practicing priests, the Daily Advisor emailed the diocese asking which ones specifically are the known rapists. Very Seems reasonable question. Reasonable, yeah. The response was basically, why? No, you are. <laughs> so... According to a response email from the in-house publicist that they require, the bishop in charge of the place, Michael Jarrell, quote, sees no purpose in such action, end quote. Really? No purpose in knowing who None the at all. known rapists are. No. Yeah, I believe they then added, quote, do you know how hard it is to fuck kids these days when you're a Catholic priest? <laughs> like, even a four- and five-year-olds have been forewarned at this point. If we told you their names, they wouldn't stand a chance, end fake quote. So we're just going to need those names so we can get the anklets installed. Uh, they're like, I believe our insurance company paid their debt to society. <laughs> haven't these pedophiles been punished enough? No. No, no. they have not. They have not. The, the, the no punishment was not quite harsh enough. No. <laughs> and in Answers in Carcinogenesis news tonight, Christianity has discovered the cure for cancer. And as it turns out, and you it's probably saw this one coming. Fun. It's a cross that rises a 23rd of a mile into the air. This giant cancer-killing cross is the kidney child of a couple of Alabama businessmen who are sick and damn tired of the largest cross in the country being in that their state what Lincoln come from. They hope to, they hope to raise the estimated $750,000 needed to construct the monstrosity through a crowdfunding site that says, in no uncertain terms, that building giant crosses can cure cancer and divorce. Those two things. Cancer... And divorce. <laughs> Yet cancer and divorce keep existing, so bigger, more <laughs> perpendicular. <Right. laughs> what? Really? You idiots. God's looking from above. Now he's going to think we're Satanists. Print this <laughs> side up on top. Something. Now, the miraculous claims come under the how can I help section of their website, and somewhere amidst the time cube level logic and website (laughs) presentation, the project's leaders assert that the giant torture device replica could, through the simple merit of being seen by a passing heathen motorist, turn them back to Jesus and, as almost goes without saying, thereby heal their devil cancer and save their marriage. So, clearly, there's that. So the cross actually won't even help Christians, it's, no. it's a reminder for, what, <laughs> heathen drifters, like Lance Armstrong riding around. Between divorce and testicle cancer, I've literally lost half my shit. I'm so depressed. <laughs> Ooh, what's that plus signy thing? Check that out. Seriously? That's... And in Jesus Swallows, turns the other cheek and swallows again news. Oak Ridge Lions Church of Oak Ridge, Tennessee, decided to teach the virtue of forgiveness with a blowjob metaphor on their marquee. Well done. That's right. The following message adorned the large sign on their front lawn, at least until one single person who's heard of mouth sex saw it and told them so. So, quote, it's actually out there. Forgiveness is to swallow when you want to spit. (laughs) Actually on their sign. It's a shame more pastors don't read the Friendly Atheist blog. 
because Hemant yeah. has been trying to tell them, before you go live with the marquee, just run it by one honest 14-year-old. Well, you know what? They don't even have to be honest. Just look at the look on their face when they first see it. <laughs> so I guess uh... <clears throat> Jesus forgives you. And uh, <laughs> clearly flated some dudes against his will right. for our sins. <laughs> so let's all be grateful. <laughs> the weirdest theology in that religion, I swear. <laughs> All right, so we did shitting last week. Um, I did shit last speaking week. Speaking of Blumpkins, uh, <laughs> <Were> <laughs> well, hold on right there. Everyone Google Blumpkin. I will wait. <laughs> right, because the, the key to a good Blumpkin is patience. You, know, you don't want to <laughs> finish before you finish there. So. <laughs> Timing is everything. Blumpkin Donuts, Breakfast of Champions. All right, moving <laughs> on I'm thinking we give the, uh, the advertising department over at Oak Ridge Lions Church, some new ideas for their next marquee, right? Uh, gonna need 30 seconds on the clock for this one. Obviously. Religious euphemisms for oral sex. Obviously. Go. All right. Uh, how about tempting the serpent right back? <laughs> um, going to the head of the class in seminary fluid dynamics. Oh, nice. Crammed a bunch of head jokes in there. How about <laughs> the slurping on the mount? <laughs> Praying to the foreskin flute? Finding the little man in the ark? <laughs> Ridding congressional members of their baner. <laughs> At the end, you would say, oh, what a lovely tea party. I'm sure. Isn't it sad that that actually is a religious euphemism? I mean, that shouldn't count, but it does. How and about check out Jane Silent Bob Strike Back. The yes, of course. How about chrome your dome on the rocks? And the rocks. And the rocks. <laughs> dome and the rocks. Um, what about rendering the tossed salad unto Caesar? Also known as the rim joke. Oh, nice. How about kissing the Pope's other ring? You know, he's, you know he's got a cock ring going on there. He's rocking it. Uh, some uh, Easter egg McMuff diving. <laughs> the Spurberger's after 11 a.m. Right, Easter right, because McMuff before that she has morning gash. Anyway, how about um, <laughs> spreading the word of, oh, my God? <laughs> um, box lunch at the convent. Uh, licking the habit. <laughs> That. Gargling in tongues, maybe? <laughs> Nicely done. Um, how about playing the fallopian tuba below the rod and staff? <laughs> Polishing up on scales is the worst. The worst. Yeah, Nobody enjoys no, no. it. You know I mean? uh, if you break your Ramadan fast by licking jelly out of an asshole, I believe that's called Eid al-Shitter. So, <laughs> got a Muslim one in there, too. Um... About uh, uh, humming along with the pipe organ. <laughs> mm -hmm. By the way, in addition to the list of weird shit I've had to say to my wife because of this show, the other day I had to say, it doesn't have to be blowjobs, though, baby. It could be cunnilingus or ass-tonguing as well, or teabag. <laughs> yeah, no, see, you said oral sex. <laughs> yeah, all, all of yeah, uh, Don't forget about ass-tonguing and teabag. <laughs> For the segment. For the segment. <laughs> right. Well, one way or the other. And finally, tonight from the Stand Your Fudge Round file, the First Baptist Church of Royal Palm Beach has discovered a new way of helping put roofs over the heads of the homeless. They can have them arrested. The inspiration uh -huh. came when a cleaning lady employed by the church caught a homeless man stealing cookies that were meant for the homeless, at which time she dialed 911 to report the aggravated wafer mastication. This might sound like an overreaction to some, but keep in mind we're talking about Florida, which is a state where it's legal to kill somebody for carrying Skittles. So this is an underreaction of anything. 
and he had a hoodie and a well, right, shitty right. drink nobody likes. Arizona, really? <laughs> Snapple peach iced tea, come of on. Of course. All about the Snapple peach iced tea. What an right, asshole. Right, extenuating circumstances. Reasonable. Now, despite the fact that the church regularly does feed the homeless and the estimated value of 2014's Great Snickerdoodle Heist was around $2.25, the church elected to press charges, explaining that it was for the vagrant's own good. They argued on their Facebook page that he wasn't just eating cookies. He was also drunk or high or something, probably, because he's homeless, and homeless people take drugs. <laughs> this is a church. You can't just show up and expect us to hand out tax break subsidized Jesus cookies every week. Right. It would be crazy. <laughs> would be Where do you think exactly you are? what we... Now, luckily, the Palm Beach Sesame Street crime unit was on hand and acted quickly before any more Oreos could be forcibly bifurcated. There are mixed reports that the perpetrator was already on probation at the time for taking extra sips at the 7-Eleven soda machine, though reports that he could be the infamous Palm Beach pie-cooling-on-a-windowsill bandit remain unconfirmed. (laughs) It's that aroma thing. It always gets you. you It lifts you right up. Right. right You can do you going to do? And with the reassurance that this malefactor is behind bars where he belongs, we'll kind of close the headline segment for the night. Heath, thanks as always for joining me. Rumbling, stumbling, oh, almost, bumbling. We're almost there, what? dude. <laughs> back, back, when back, we come back, gone. we're kind of still going to be doing headlines. A man wrote the Bible. A whore is what she was. If it's a legitimate rape. It's a slut, right? It, cooking can be fun. Hey, I'm proud of a man. This week in Massachusetts. I'd like to dedicate this week's segment to one of my all-time favorite Jews, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who could probably kick Jesus' ass even at her advanced age. The wily old Supreme Court justice is continuing to not shut up about the court's recent and horribly misguided decision in the Hobby Lobby case. Speaking to an audience of law students last week, she pointed out that it's nifty that some of the guys on the Supreme Court are getting behind the idea of equal rights for the 3% of the population that's gay. But it would also be nice if they could extend that to the 51% that aren't men. When asked about her charge of hypocrisy from Roberts Court, Chief Justice John Roberts pointed out that she was probably just PMSing or menopausing or whatever. But as dismissive as the court is of women's rights, it turns out that one group of voters is paying attention. Women. A new poll by Heart Research Associates suggests that the majority of female American voters would not vote for a candidate that supports the Supreme Court's decision to prioritize the wishes of imaginary men over those of real women. Crazy. But the New York-based Satanic Temple is seeking to use the errant ruling for the powers of good. Citing their own religious belief that science is right and superstition is wrong, they claim that the informed consent laws that require women seeking abortions to listen to a religiously inspired, factually dubious screed about how evil baby murder is, is a violation of their religion. Specifically, their sincerely held belief that superstition and invasive medical procedures don't mix. When reporters asked the legal experts about the case, they were doubtful that anything would come of it, to which the Satanic Temple replied, Reporters asked you about it, didn't they? Then something came of it. In other words, of course they're going to lose this fight. And in so doing, they're going to expose the fact that in today's legal landscape, corporations are people in ways that people could only dream of. And I'd say that's victory. And finally tonight, we have something that starts out looking like a glimmer of hope in the Middle East, but really isn't. A female anchor on the Saudi channel, Al-Hakabahaya, appeared on screen, boldly showing the top of her head and side cheek. 
But no, this isn't a step forward. It's an accident that the network apologized for almost immediately with the explanation that she was broadcasting out of the infidel city of London. But they'd have been sure to throw some acid on her face if she tried that shit back home. And they also promised that it would never, ever happen again. That being said, if you want one bad enough, I suppose you can find a glimmer of hope in Saudi Arabia. For instance, over the last few years, women have been permitted to work as cashiers at supermarkets and lingerie shops. So who knows? Maybe we'll see bicycling without a chaperone in our lifetimes. That's not all the misogyny I have for you this week, but it's all the time I've got. So I'll hand things over to Noah and Heath so they can undermine the point of these segments altogether with a few rape jokes. They're talking about your Jesus. Rejoining me for an abbreviated additional headline segment tonight is noun. Noun, preposition, pronoun, adjective. <laughs> Conjunction! Exclamation! All right, then. From the I bet it's not really gourmet file tonight, Mary's Gourmet Diner in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, got an impromptu social media ad campaign this week when their policy of offering a 15% discount to people who pray before they eat went viral. Restaurants viral don't usually mix. Well, the people getting <laughs> this discount seem thrilled. Others have pointed out that it's thinly-veiled fucking bigotry. The diner's management dismissed those charges by pointing out that it's not that they're charging atheists more, they're just charging Christians less. So it's not discrimination, it's just regular discrimination, you see. (laughs) That's okay. Maybe Christians can use that money for good somehow. Hmm. So, uh... What can you do with 15% of the bill at the end of the meal that not enough Christians are doing? Maybe they'll... I don't know, buy thousands of tiny pamphlets, give them to the restaurant workers, yeah, they'll go. come up with something. They'll come up with something good to do with that money. 15%. And in Geico offers atheist discount news. Oh, nice. Geico yeah. joke, fresh off the 15% off joke. He's on fire, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Boom shakalaka. So, Indiana motorists Prianda Hill and Anthony Oliveri were almost murdered by God in Fort Wayne last month when the deity hijacked Hill's Pontiac Grand Prix then either merged badly or briefly stopped existing, we're not sure, and finally proceeded <laughs> to drive it over Oliveri's motorcycle and adjacent sprawling human body. <laughs> Collision cover acts of God, I don't know how the plan we're, works. We're going to find out. Okay, so a hint to the driver here. If Jesus loved you, you wouldn't be driving a Pontiac living in Fort Wayne or named Prianda. So... Drive your own fucking car. And then now why will Congressman check into Sleazy Motel's news? Assistant House Whip Stephen Palazzo went all Gideon last week and sent Bibles to all 535 members of Congress, including the token Muslim. The Bibles came with a letter encouraging all legislators to let God's word preempt petty mortal things like statistics and expert recommendation when it comes to making life and death decisions for their constituents. All right, that's nice and everything, but... A little too late for Giffords to wear a Bible attached to her face at this point. She's not even in Congress anymore. Late. Fucking quitter. Speaking on behalf of Americans United for Separation of Church and State, Barry Lynn suggested perhaps Palazzo consult a slightly more modern guide to governance that his fellow Tea Party members ejaculate about almost as often as the Bible. You know, the founding document that protects your right to bring your elephant gun to target. That's the one. Blam! And in Poopole Loophole 2.0 news, it's been over a year and a half since Washington State cleverly legalized gay marriage and decriminalized marijuana on the same day, thus allowing men to lie together and get stoned, like Leviticus teaches. Nice. Colorado already has the weed part taken care of, but thanks to a recent homophobic ruling by the state Supreme Court, they won't yet have the gay marriage part taken care of. So for now, it's just a bunch of dudes standing around getting stoned. Somebody get him a couch or a love seat or something. <laughs> 
I was actually picturing a giant champagne glass-shaped hot tub filled with Vaseline, but that's usually what I'm picturing. <laughs> and in learning to count with herpes simplexes news tonight, a quick update to last week's herpetic Jewish pedophile story. You'll recall us talking last week about two babies contracting genital herpes from having their recently mutilated cocks orally massaged by grown men with festering mouth sores. Well, you'll be happy to know it turns out that the Orthodox Jewish community has taken action and banned those two particular disease-ridden rabbis (laughs) from sucking baby cock. They'll have other less viral people suck the baby cock like civilized human beings now, so glad to see that they learned their lesson. Great. They're going to take this on a... Case by case basis. Right. <laughs> Not the best. If a baby gets a case of syphilis, we'll, we'll ban syphilis. Very simple. Exactly. I want to jump the gun, though. <laughs> and with that, we're actually going to close headlines for the night. Heath, thanks again. I'll be honest. I was surprised you were ready to go again so soon. It's As not bad for a guy your age. <laughs> Make up a lot with good girth and good reboot time. I wouldn't know. And when we come back, we almost certainly won't still be doing headlines. Last name, first name, middle initial, Christ, Jesus H. Are you the Jesus H. Christ? Well, actually, yeah. From Twitter? No. No, that's some other guy. Oh, okay. Well, here's your number. If you want to look at some of these pamphlets while you're waiting, here you go. Uh, do you have these in Aramaic? Is that the terrorist language? Never mind. Psst. Hey, buddy. You here for the defensive driving course? Yeah. So what did you do? I took the wheel for some crazy bitch in Indiana and creamed the motorcyclist. <laughs> nice. Christ, Jesus H. That's me. Good luck, buddy. Thanks. My name's Edward McKinnon. I'll be your driving instructor today. Are you ready for your exam? Yeah, I guess. I just... I don't understand why everybody's making such a big deal about this. I've been driving since before there were cars for my sake. Look, buddy, the only reason you're not sitting in a jail cell right now is because your dad has connections. At the time of your accident, your blood alcohol level was wine. (laughs) Started as water. Follow me, please. Which is your car, Mr. Christ? Uh, One over there with the me fish. Is that tint legal? Through a glass darkly, baby. <clears throat> Seat belts. Uh, I resurrect, so I'm not sure if that's necessary. It's the law. Even for immortals? It's the law. Fine. Has this vehicle passed emissions testing? Holy smokes, right? <laughs> Get it? Holy Trust me, it's not going to matter in another 26 years. So where are we going? I need you to pull out of this parking lot and make a left at the stop sign. And away we go. You can, uh, you can disengage the turn signal now. Yeah, easy to say if you got no holes in your hands. Hold on a second. Now, uh, maintain this lane until you reach the, the... There's no need to... Hey, you can't stick your head out of the window while you're driving. I love me, baby. I love me. Get back in here. Sorry, the the bumper sticker. Right? How could I not? With the... They have the... Could you please roll the window back up? Okay, but first, check this out. Check this out. I stick my hand out the window, and all of a sudden... <laughs> Very amusing, Mr. Christ. Now, please roll the window up. 
Now you're going to want to slow down up here. The speed limit in this area is 45 miles per hour. Whatever. Slow down, Mr. Christ. There's water on the road up there. I invented hydroplane, dude. Check it out. Look out! Guard sign sticking through my intestines. Of course you didn't pass. Are you sure about that? Cause uh, that wound looks pretty severe. What are you trying to say? Eh, it'd just be a shame if you know suddenly somebody unforgave you at the last minute. You know. You heartless bastard. Dad, Addie McKinnon called me. All right, damn it, you pass, you son of a bitch. Apology accepted. Oh, oh, oh. Tell Uncle Pete Jesus said hi. Joining us tonight is the host and producer of the Herd Mentality Podcast and my good friend Adam Reeks. Adam, welcome to The Scathing Atheist. Greetings, Noah. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good, man. Now, the reason I asked you out tonight is because, like Heath and I, you've had a bit of success in the podcasting world. And again, like us, you've gone to great lengths to use the platform you've created for charitable purposes. Heath expresses this by sending strippers through college and paying the phone bills of single mothers. <laughs> well, I set out to keep Mexican drug runners nourished and gainfully employed, but you've taken a, a few slightly different tacks on that. Is that right? <laughs> yes. Unfortunately, the drug runners and strippers have not come my way. Unfortunately, uh, I settle for more humanistic causes. So on occasion, when I have an interview uh, whereby somebody has been I feel hard done by through no fault of their own or perhaps they've been they're struggling in a situation that really is no fault of their own or they may have been put put out shall we say just by the fact that they're an atheist I think it's only fair to do the community thing or the herd the herd thing it's the herd thing to do to support them I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. So, well, that brings us to kind of the meat and potatoes of why I asked John. Can you tell us about the uh, fundraiser that you're doing right now? Yes, there's a lovely lady. She's just a wonderful person, Iman. Her, her Twitter handle is at one godless woman, and she's appeared on several episodes of mine, episodes 10, 40, and 41. And she's been through quite a bit. She's a sexual assault survivor. She was attacked by a Saudi man. She herself is a Saudi national, but the attack took place in Canada. Now, I initially did a fundraiser in order for her to take him to court, and she went to court. And would, you, would it surprise you to learn, Noah, that he didn't turn up? Now, this was a court in Canada or a, a Saudi court? Uh, a court in Canada, a Saudi court, I don't think they'd be no, I, even I, going I, to trial. <laughs> but uh, no, in a Canadian court, and no, he didn't make it. So she, but to top it all off, Noah, she's had, she's been diagnosed again with cervical cancer, and it just seems to be one thing after another. And my heart goes out to her, and I thought, okay, we need to get you a holiday. So I'm at present, raising $6,000 to send Iman and her family on their very first overseas holiday to Legoland in California. 
Oh, right on, right on. Awesome. Now, have you contacted Legoland, see if they could help you out at all? I have, and I received a 24-page email on how to apply for <laughs> <laughs> the charitable uh, causes such as that. But in this instance, if they came to the party and said, yes, we'll give accommodation or, or something like that, I would give them all the PR in the world. But at, as it stands, I think the herd mentalists and anybody who listens, uh, just a couple of dollars, chuck it our way. We're going to get her there regardless. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, shows like yours and even more so shows like mine aren't exactly the ones that places like Legoland want to get their, their PR from. So, I, I will say this, however. It was refreshing to see on the 24-page email that uh, came through to me. If it's a particularly religious association, then that's not what we're on about. We're on about non-profits and so forth, of which I am neither. Right, <laughs> so right. I don't really qualify anywhere there. So knocks, no knocks against you, but nothing for you there either. So. No, not when uh, you satirize religion as much as you and I do. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so we can't count on Legoland. Now, now, how exactly are you doing the fundraiser? Are you using uh, like a uh, Indiegogo kind of thing or something like that? or? We did that initially and it turned out to be an excruciating punish in order to extract the money from them that we had so generously raised. So quite simply, by heading to herdmentalitypodcast.com and clicking on the support tab, there's a little link there and you can just send the money through. That comes straight through to my PayPal account when we hit $6,000. I transfer it over to Iman. There's no waiting. There's no ifs, no buts. This is how it's happening. Okay. And how long is this fundraiser running? Well, we've kicked it off eight days in total. So Iman's actually going in for her surgery on the 8th of this month. And I believe this will be going to air on the 7th. So we might just need some of your listeners to go and take a listen to the, the latest episode if they are so inclined at herdmentalitypodcast.com. And, of course, they'll find that linked at scathingatheist.com as well. I've, what's that? I've never heard of that. <laughs> it's Sorry, it's some one. website with some kind of porn on it or something. <laughs> It's, it's, on, it's honestly completely off subject, but you know how on your website it'll tell you what people search to get to your website? You'd be amazed because of the transcripts of the 30 seconds on the clock bits that Heath and I do. You'd be amazed at the kind of crazy <laughs> shit people wind up on our website. They must be so disappointed when they search Charlie and my chocolate factory gay ass porn and wind up at scathingatheist.com. I feel or, um, you, you wouldn't believe it, but I was searching uh, underage teenage girls urinating on midgets. And uh, that, that's, in fact, how I discovered your show. I think, uh, I, I think a listener, and I, I apologize to him because I can't remember his name, suggested that we from now on call that the Yellow Submarine. So. <laughs> right, bonus points awarded. Yes. <laughs> anyway, so we were, we were talking about charity and doing good things for human beings, and I, and I sidetracked to that. So now there's two days from the time that this episode comes out uh, before the fundraiser ends. So we need, to, we need to give it one final push from the scathing atheist bump here and help get him on the very much-needed vacation uh, that Adam set out to get her. So again, check out scathingatheist.com for links. You'll find links to Adam's most recent episode where he really goes into detail. And Iman's on, the, uh, on that episode with you, correct? Yes, it is. And her story truly is heartbreaking, guys. So we're doing this for no other reason than it's just simply the right thing to do. Appreciate that. All right. So, of course, if you'd like to check out Adam's show, you're going to find that linked on the show notes as well. You can also follow him on Twitter at Adam Reeks, R-E-A-K-E-S. Adam, thank you so much for your time. It was excruciating. Thank you, Noah. <laughs> and good luck to you with fundraising. Cheers, buddy. Right?
That... No, that's a... Ray Comfort? Adam. Hi, Ray. This really is kind of awkward. I never really expected to meet you in real life and in a public toilet of all places. Uh, thanks for talking to me. Oh, Ray, the pleasure's all mine. I greet you properly, but it looks like you've got your hands full. That's quite something you have there. I find it very disappointing. Do you mind if I... Uh... Absolutely. Cheers. I'm actually in a bit of a hurry. What's been on your mind, Ray? Homosexuality. Really? Hmm. Well, sorry, I can't finish this. I've got stage fright now. Lesbianism. Yeah, right. Well, I probably can't help you out with that one. Fornication, adultery, pornography. Jesus, Ray, there's a lot going on in there. I can't sleep at night. Well, actually, Ray, I, I have a favour to ask of you. It, it might help relieve some of that tension. Could you help me do the final step in a long-running project I've been working on? No. Oh, come on, Ray. Doing something nice for another person makes you feel good. No, absolutely wrong. Incorrect. No. Now, I'm willing to bet you're wrong. Do you remember Iman, at One Godless Woman, from episodes 10, 40 and 41 at HerdMentalityPodcast.com? Yeah. Well, I tried to raise some money for a holiday for her and her family by building a life-size cow and auctioning it. That's right. It was an epic fail, really. I raised $300 from it, from a very generous buyer. But it's hardly enough to buy her a holiday. Well, this is just the beginning. Well, I'm really glad you see it that way too, Ray. In fact, I'm going to match that $300 with money I've earned from supporters of this show. So help me out here. Is that $600 in total? Oh, I think so. Brilliant. Do you think that $600 is a good starting point to raise $6,000? Say 10% of the total? Absolutely true. What would you think if we could hit that goal? It's going to leave a deep impression on the mind of Richard Dawkins. Cool. Well, if you could just tell your friends to visit HerdMentalityPodcast.com and click the support tab, you'll find the information for Iman's fundraiser is all there. Salvation. What the fuck is Wicca? Wicca began in the 1950s as an attempt by horny men to see more naked women and has since morphed into a means by which horny spiritualists of both genders can ogle one another's genitals. While most Wiccans will tell you that the faith dates back tens of thousands of years, the truth is that they're full of shit. The faith began in the early 50s and was first referenced in works by Gerald Gardner beginning in 1954. Additional authors with increasingly absurd pen names have continued to develop the faith over the past six decades to create an impossibly garbled web of nonsense and deepities. Because of this lack of centralization, the definition and beliefs of Wiccans vary greatly from region to region, coven to coven, and individual to individual. These differences are largely overlooked within the neo-pagan community because they're all too stoned to give a shit and most of them are going to give up on this silly wicca thing by the time they're 26 anyway. There are a few core beliefs, however, that can be found in almost all iterations of wicca. One is the duotheistic nature of their theology and an emphasis on both the male and female aspects of God. Many, if not most, Wiccans tend to focus the majority of their worship on the goddess figure because she's the one with the boobs. Another common tenet of the faith is an open and progressive attitude towards sex. Nudity, sex, and masturbation play an integral part in many Wiccan rituals, and while their attitude is a welcome contrast to the prudery of most religions, in practice, sex positive is often utterly indistinguishable from sex coercive.
At its core, Wicca is a nature religion, worshipping trees, flowers, insects, and other things that look trippy when you're on acid. This is often expressed in a dangerously stupid belief in herbal therapies, nonsense-based medical treatments, and gross misapplications of the word energy. But the most visible aspect of Wicca, of course, is their belief in ritual magic. Just in case nobody was already making fun of them, Wiccans have a series of what they call elemental weapons, which include a magic wand, a magic knife, a handful of polyhedral dice, and a character sheet. They use these weapons to call upon spirits, such as the Undines of the East, the Sylphs of the North, the Salamanders of the South, and I'm Sirius. Wicca draws upon both misinterpretations of ancient pagan rituals and misinterpretations of modern hermetic rituals in an attempt to multiply bullshit by horseshit. This leads to a convoluted ritual structure that is impossible to take seriously, even by those performing it. In fact, the simple ability to utter a phrase like, I banish you salamanders of the south with a straight face is the single qualification for the title of Wiccan High Priest. Of course, you can't have a serious discussion of the Wiccan faith without bringing up the strong lunar influence in their beliefs, so I won't. Run, grab the youngins, folks. It's time for Lucinda Illusions Bible Stories for Kids. Gather round, boys and girls. Today we're going to open up our Bibles to the book of Judges and learn about one of the Old Testament's most admirable mass murderers, Samson. And like all good biblical heroes, Samson tortures animals, massacres the innocent, vandalizes property, cons his friends, treats his wife like shit, and racks up a huge body count. But before any of that happened, in fact, even before he was born, an angel came to his mother. Or at least that's what his mother told his father when his impotent father came home and found his wife pregnant. But Samson's father doubted his wife's tale, which is the last time in this entire story that somebody will act in accordance with logic. The angel told his mother that Samson would be a Nazarite, which meant that he had special magical Jew powers as long as he never cut his hair. So Samson grew up to be a super-strength scraggly hippie, and eventually his balls dropped, and he set off to find some sweet Philistine ass. He saw a woman named Timna in town and decided she looked young and moist, so he headed to her house to ask for her hand in marriage. But along the way, Samson was attacked by a lion, because sometimes the Bible follows the Michael Bay rule of random action beats. So Samson kicks the lion's ass and tore it into pieces, because dismembering animals is very heroic. Then he went to Timna's house, and she agreed to marry him. But on the way home to tell his parents the good news, he came back across the shredded corpse of the lion he'd fought, and while he was gone, some silly bees had built a nest in its rancid intestines. Well, like anybody would, if they came across a bee's nest in a rotting carcass, he decided to eat a handful of honey out of it and files the moment away in case he ever needed to stump thirty Philistines with a riddle. So a few days later, Samson was at a party and really needed to stump 30 Philistines with a riddle. So he said, I bet you can't guess what I ate honey out of. And while the Philistines explained that that wasn't exactly a riddle, Samson went on to promise them all nice new clothes if they could figure out the answer. But Samson made the mistake of trusting a woman. He told his fiancée the answer, and she told it to the 30 Philistines. So they came back and demanded all the nice new clothes Samson had promised them. But Samson was as clever as he was homicidal, so instead of buying new clothes, he just killed 30 random people, stripped them naked, and gave the Philistines their clothes. He also decided he didn't want his wife anymore, so he gave her to a friend. But then he changed his mind and he decided he wanted to have her after all. But it was too late because his friend was already dicking her. 
Samson was very angry, so he set a couple of foxes on fire and sent them running through our family's farms, burning all the food that they would need to stay alive over the winter. Needless to say, they were very upset and went to Samson's family and demanded that he be turned over for justice. Well, they turned him over all right. They tied him up and gave him to an army of innocent people who were just doing their job to keep the peace. But Samson broke through his binds, grabbed the discarded jawbone of a donkey, and murdered all of them with it. And it must have been pretty gruesome, because if you think about it, the only way to logically kill somebody with a jawbone is to gouge their eyes out, stick it in their ear, or cram it up their ass. So it probably got really messy. But just when all the homicide was going so well for Samson, along came a woman named Delilah. And like pretty much all the women who came along in the Bible stories, she was bad news. But Samson didn't care because she had a vagina. But even better, she was into kinky bondage and discipline stuff. You know, like when a mommy crams a ball gag into daddy's mouth and whips his scrotum with a riding crop. But little did he know, her kink was actually a clever ploy to capture him and make him dance like a monkey. So after a couple of really obvious failed attempts to discover his kryptonite, Samson eventually tells her that he would be completely powerless if he cut off his hair. So she cut off his hair, because women in the Bible are pretty much always evil, or raped, or killed, or all three. So once he was sporting the Patrick Stewart look, Delilah helped the Philistines capture him and poke out his eyes. And then they chained him up so people could come and throw shit at him. But they kept him chained up for so long that eventually his hair grew back and he pulled the building down from within, killing himself, Delilah, and all the evil people who had captured him. And nobody lived happily ever after because they were all crushed to death. The End it's time for the part of the show that comes next, listener feedback. This is the part of the show where we answer questions, correct errors, feign apologies, and offer superfluous explanations of what listener feedback means. Our first message comes in the form of a correction. We already spent a big chunk of a feedback segment clarifying our story about Liberty University's new medical program, but Danny writes us to point out a mistake we missed. I got the city right, Lynchburg, but I got the state wrong. As Danny points out, quote, it's not Lynchburg, Tennessee, home of pretty good bourbon, but rather Lynchburg, Virginia, home of not much. And Thanks. I'd also like to I'd like to thank Danny, but also preemptively correct his correction by pointing out that Jack Daniels is a long way from pretty good bourbon. It's <laughs> pretty Absolutely. nasty shit. Yes. So one more time, because this is important, it's the place named after murdering black people in Virginia, <laughs> not the place <laughs> named after murdering black people in Tennessee that I should have been talking right, about. Right, exactly. Our next email comes from Mr. A Color from A Place, and he emails to ask why I'm so much more of a podcast whore than Heath is. He writes, quote, I hear you a lot of the time on other podcasts such as Cognitive Dissonance and the Imaginary Friends show, but usually Heath doesn't appear. Just curious why that is. Well, would you invite me to say words on your show? Right. I mean, no, I edit out about 95% of the things I say. You guys only hear the clean stuff. <laughs> That being said, though, shit, yes. seriously, I am capable of lifting my hand from the third rail for a moment if needed. So if invited, <laughs> I'd be happy to appear on other shows more often in the future, especially if I can more easily afford to devote the extra time. 
And, of course, generous Patreons can help make that happen. Check out our goal. Right, exactly. So, so for the record, Heath and I split all the money that doesn't go to the new equipment and hosting and stuff like that right down the middle. Patreon, PayPal, the book, all of it 50-50. That being said, since he's in New York City and I'm in Podunk, Georgia, I can pay my rent, my utilities, my insurance, my cable, my phone bill, my Guatemalan masseuse, buy a month's <laughs> worth of groceries and an eight ball for the same amount Heath pays to share an apartment with three other dudes. So all I can afford beyond the rent is the masseuses and the eight balls. Right. New Yorkers learn to make sacrifices. It's tough, though. (laughs) Anyway, end result is that I'm able to do this full time. Heath still has a real job, so I'm a lot easier to schedule for other appearances. That and everybody's, of course, afraid that Heath will make aid jokes in a bad way. And finally, we had a Facebook message from one of Earth's top 11 people, April, asking for advice on dealing with the cookie baking Christians Noah talked about in his diatribe a couple weeks ago. Specifically, she wondered how to respond when a sweet old lady at work says, It's okay, honey. God loves you. All right. So I guess this has top ten written all over it, right? (laughs) For April, anything. So top ten answers to a sweet old lady telling you God loves you. All right. Number ten. I know, but sometimes it feels like it's only for my dick. (laughs) Number nine. If he really loved me, he'd bring me some milk. And maybe the Crown Royal bag in my glove compartment. <laughs> yeah, it's in the further lot. You'll have to take a shuttle bus. Thanks, old lady. <laughs> Number eight. Sure didn't seem like it when he burned my tongue with that communion wafer, though, right? <laughs> Number seven. God loves me, uh, and I really love hanging out with God. <laughs> You've done that before. Number six. Yeah, but that slut loves everybody. Number five, write me a check for $7, and I might love him back. (laughs) Number four, I'm sorry, did you say Gollum's a Jew? Is that what you just... (laughs) Number three, but he sure doesn't love the coloreds. Am I right, old lady? Am I right? She knows. She knows what I'm talking about. Negroes. Number two, then why does he always want to fuck me from behind? If he really loves me, who's he thinking about while he's back there? And the number one thing to say when an old lady tells you God loves you. Allah Akbar. Go away. I'm Muslim. <laughs> That'll do it. That'll do it. <laughs> and that's all the feedback you get. If you want more, keep sending those tweets, emails, Facebook messages, and blog comments. Before we get to the prestige tonight, I wanted to encourage you one more time to check out Adam's site, and if you can, please give. It's a great opportunity to help an atheist that needs your help. Again, you can find links to donate on our homepage, along with links to episodes of his show where you can find out more details about Iman's story. Oh, and incidentally, if the Ray Comfort sketch tonight tested your bladder, that's Adam's fault. Be sure to direct your anger and your stream towards him on that one. I think he's south. That's all we've got for you tonight, but if you want more, there is more. Like I mentioned in the feedback segment, I'm a bit of a podcast whore, so when Thomas from Atheistic speaking, invited me on to talk about the situation in Gaza, I didn't let my downright embarrassing lack of expertise slow me down. You can find our conversation on episodes 55 and 56 of his show, both of which you'll find linked on the show notes and transcripts for this episode. I also need to thank Lucinda for knocking another Bible story out of the park this week, as well as all the other contributions she makes to the show. Of course, I need to thank Heath for bringing his endearing breed of faux bigotry and shit jokes to this enterprise. Definitely could not make this show happen every week without him. Of course, I also need to thank Adam for joining us tonight. I also want to thank Chuck, Willie, and Little Monkey Chuck from Chuck and Willie's Book of More 
Mormon Stories podcast. If you just can't get enough damn our Mormons wacky in your life, you'll find a link to their podcast on our show notes as well. But most of all, of course, I need to thank this week's best people, Stephen, Roger, Thomas, Jeremiah, Joanna, Gerard, Tony, Daniel, Matt, and David. Stephen, Roger, and Thomas, who are so virile they have to put on a condom when they sexed. Jeremiah, Joanna, and Gerard, who are so clever they just convinced Muhammad that mountains are overrated. And Tony, Daniel, Matt, and David, whose mighty fists are measured in Sharknado's per meter squared. Together, these ten august, benevolent, charitable, distinguished, extraordinary, fucktastic, gracious, honorable individuals aided our quest to decimate the Decalogue this week by giving us money. Not everybody has the alphabetical list of positive attributes required to give us money, but if you think you're up to the challenge, you can make a per-episode donation at patreon.com slash scathingatheist, which will earn you a bunch of bonus stuff, or you can make a one-time donation by clicking the donate button on the right side of our homepage. Also, there's one donor who I forgot to thank a couple weeks ago. They got in touch with me, and I filed away in my head to compliment the shit out of them tonight. But then I couldn't remember if they got in touch through email or Twitter or Facebook or Patreon or the blog or whatever, and I couldn't find the message when I was putting together this week's outro. So a thousand apologies. I am so sorry. Please send me one last email, and I will let the world know how incredibly above average your genitals are next week. And, of course, you can also help us a ton for free by leaving us a glowing review on iTunes or checking us out on Stitcher. And apparently leaving a review on Stitcher is a huge pain in the ass, so don't worry so much about that. But if you'd like to listen to us on the go, please definitely check out the Stitcher app and help push our rank up there. If you have questions, comments or death threats you'll find all the contact info on the contact page at skatingatheist.com all the music used in this episode was written and performed by yours truly and yes I did have my permission I, I wasn't 100% thrilled with that